Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we're still talking about extensionality in type theory, and there's definitely a ton to cover, and I've been spending quite a bit of time talking about this particular paper, Observational Type Theory, now for good. And I want to talk about it one more time here because of some of the technicalities involved I think are kind of interesting. And, uh, and then I'll try to branch out and talk about a few other things um, related to extensionality in type theory. So, yeah, anyway, the part I want to talk about, so this observational type theory, just to recap the idea, it's basically that we're going to have an equality type. You know, if you ever tried using or looking at any of these tools like Calk or Agda or Lean, they have an equality type. And it's um, it's got this sort of like surprisingly simple definition, which is basically just that um, it's an inductive data type that just says there's one constructor raffle that proves A equals A for any type A. So the equality type is actually parameterized by the type A of the like big A of the um, the terms that are being equated. So this kind of equality, you can only equate things that have the same type. There's this kind of famous idea of heterogeneous equality developed by Connor McBride, where you can equate things of different type. At least you can form equations between things of different type. You can only prove them when the, it's exactly the same term, which then has exactly the same type on each side. Anyhow, but sort of Again, like in Calk or something, you have this inductive type. So it's inductive type means it's built from constructors. In this case, there's only one constructor. It's Ruffle. And so this doesn't seem like it has a lot of structure. So it's actually surprising that you can go as far with it. Maybe it's surprising as you can. And it basically comes about because of definitional quality uh, of the type theory. So you have this propositional quality where you're saying, you know, two things are equal if they're exactly identical in the theory. But I quote, identical in the theory actually means something much richer than just literally syntactic the syntactically the same. It means definitionally equal, which in, it, you know, it's just the definitional quality, again, is the automatic equality that your type checker uses when it's trying to type check things. And so it doesn't require any proof. And it basically invol involves like unfolding definitions, doing beta reduction, like if you have a a function applied to an argument, and it's in general can be simplifying that, um, pattern matching, all that kind of stuff. So if you have like one plus one, that's definitely equal to two. And so just to prove the reflexivity proof ruffle is going to prove the equation one plus one equals two, because ruffle proves x equals x, and the type theory says, oh yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, one plus one and two are both are the identical. They're the same in according to the theory because it the theory is equating terms that are definitionally equal. So, anyway, but in observational type theory it goes much further than this and so we have this idea that the equality type itself is it's not an inductive type. In fact, it's a it's basically a function defined by recursion on the index type. Now, usually for type theories, you can't define things by recursion on a type, um, right? You can't say, I'm gonna write a function and it's gonna take in a type A, and if the A is a function type, I'm gonna do this, and if the A is bool, I'm gonna do that. Most type theories out there don't let you do this. You can um, do a lot of what that would be good for using this idea of codes 
Um, so you can have data, let's sort of like names for types. You can have a data type of names for other types. You could say, I've got this thing called nat, and it's a this is a term now, this is a value, it's not a it's not a type. Um, but that represents the type nat. And then you have some decoding function that lets you um, turn the name for nat into the actual type nat. Anyway, but besides that kind of idea, which is a powerful and totally cool idea, besides this kind of idea of codes of, for, you know, a universe of codes, that's what they call this, like Martin Luther type theory with a universe means you have got um, a type whose inhabitants are, well, smaller types. You cannot have the universe itself have a code that leads to paradoxes. Um, anyhow, so <laughs> type theory is kind of like chess. I, I've kind of got interested in learning more about chess. I'm a horrible chess player. Um, and, you know, in chess, they're like, oh, you know, if you move your pawn here, just resign because that's complete suicide. And to the uninitiated, you look at like, what? That doesn't seem like that'd be a problem. And type theory is kind of the same. It's like, just add this axiom. It doesn't seem bad. Like, what would be wrong with saying that you have a universe of codes and it itself has a code in that same universe? Yeah, sorry. That's like moving your F-pawn. You're, you're dead. You can't do that. <clears throat> so, uh, anyway. So, observational um, type theory, though, is... So, it's like not with, within the theory <clears throat> you cannot recurse on types, but at the sort of meta level, the, the, the theory itself is stated with a recursion on types that can index the equality. We talked about this. So it's kind of like if I have an equality um, which of between pairs, then that and an equation between pairs actually simplifies. It actually has some definitional equality that applies to say that, well, an equality between pairs is really equivalent to the conjunction of the equalities between the components of the pairs. Right, so it's kind of like you make the statement; it looks like an equation, but in fact, there are these rules that say that equation that you wrote down actually is going to transform into this other formula that expresses um, the sort of extensional equality for that type, um, which is really neat. Uh, so, the last thing I'd wanted to say about this um, Puget and Tabarro paper, observational equality, um, now for good, is. Uh, you know, so they've they've set they set up this theory, and then they do a semantics for it to show that the theory is normalizing. Um, and yeah, so there's a lot of ins and outs there. There's actually, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of details and and um, pretty cool ideas about how to set up these this kind of proof. But they base their proof of normalization on um, a proof in an earlier paper by Andreas Abel and co-authors, where we're going to try to set up a semantics. And so we have a bunch of re semantic relations that are supposed to kind of correspond to the syntactic relations of the type theory, right? Syntax and semantics. The type theory sort of says, these are the types, and it says what their syntax is. And this relation is going to say also say what types are, but it's intended to be at a more semantic level. And the part that I've been studying with my doctoral students as well recently was sort of the, the structure of this normalization argument, the structure of this semantics. So basically, um, the interesting thing is they set the semantics up, they'll have an inductive definition of what it means for uh, types to be sort of semantically well-formed or reducible, like what's a reducible type? This is kind of just like, means a good, semantically good type. 
and uh, they have an inductive definition of that. And but that definition, crucially, at the case for function types, because they're dependent function types. So to say what a good dependent function type is, you're kind of led to say, well, for all good inputs to the function, because like dependent function type, right? It's like it's like pi x colon a dot b. It's saying like it's a type for functions that take in an input x of type a, and then produce a b. But b could mention that input x. And so you have to say what a good pi type is. You kind of need to say what a good codomain for that thing is. And you can't really, it's hard to see how to say that without um, talking about what are the good inputs to this function. So you say like, well, given a good input, like a, a semantically legal input, little a of type big A, um, then we need to say that the codomain with with the, this found variable x re replaced in somehow or somewhere or form with this semantic input a um, that that is a well-formed a semantically well-formed type and so anyway so th this so it's, they can't quite just set up an inductive definition of the, the semantically well-formed types or semantically legal types because the pi, the case for pi types needs to talk about semantically legal values. And so they get a kind of intricate recursion going for this definition. And it, in fact, it's a, what they call an inductive recursive definition. We have an inductive data type that's defined together with some recursive functions on that very type. Right, so you define an inductive type. And at the same time, you're writing recursive functions on that type where... In the um, definition of the inductive type, some of the clauses that say, you know, inductive types are like, well, you know, you could think of it as kind of like giving you proof rules. It's like, well, if, if these premises are true, then, you know, this conclusion would be true. So, like, if you have these, um, you know, it's like, I mean, lists are an inductive type, right? So, there's the cons constructor says, like, well, if you give me a head and a tail that's a list, the tail needs to be a list, then I'll build you a list, right? So you're sort of recursively appealing to what a list is um, in describing the, um, what con, you know, the type of cons. Um, and so in the inductive recursive definition, where your constructor for the inductive type um, can say, oh, I need these, these arguments, those arguments can reference the recursive functions that you've defined um, on the data type. So it's a pretty rich and intricate Notion. There's a wonderful paper um, by Peter DeBure. Uh, maybe I'll link in the show notes about induction recursion, and it's got a lot of interesting sort of historical commentary and you know very clean and elegant exposition. So um, you know for learning more about that, that would be recommended. But anyway, I, Agda supports this, and so this paper that we've been talking about, the Pouchet Tabarot paper, and this paper by Abel et al. They both um, define their semantics in Agda. So they prove these normalization theorems in Agda, making use of Agda's induction recursion, um, which is pretty neat. So anyway, that's all I have, I'm going to talk about for that paper for now. And I hope I've thrown you some interesting tidbits that things maybe you hadn't heard about or um, wanted to hear more about. So as always, uh, hit me up by email if you want to talk, or better yet, um, I'll put the link again in the show notes. You can join the Telegram um, group that I created and we got some people there talking about this or that. Um, not, not, it's not going to flood your, your telegram with tons and tons of messages, but 
Um, we got some conversations going on different stuff and you're welcome to pop by and ask me questions there too. I guess that'd be sort of like halfway between, <laughs> I mean, email question is totally private. This one is sort of like semi-public, but um, it's, it's, it's kind of nice to get some discussion going about this stuff. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. Hope you're good wherever you are.